There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Wannabe, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm Imriel Morgan, founder of Content is Queen, a podcast agency and community for ambitious podcasters. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Wannabe's focus is to help you take consistent action to build a successful life and career in the creative and entertainment industries. I pulled together this season just before my baby girl arrived and changed my entire world. As always, I let my curiosity lead the way when curating these conversations. This season is no different. And while every guest is a parent, this isn't a parenting podcast. So expect the same great practical steps to elevate your career. Before we get to my very special guest, here is a quick notice for any aspiring or current podcasters listening. If you're looking for a cozy and affordable professional studio space or for incredible resources, masterclasses and toolkits, head on over to contentisqueen.org to find out how you can level up your podcast with us today. Now onto my incredible guest, Jendela Benson. I've known Jandela for about seven years and have followed her career path closely. Jandela is the author of Hope and Glory and the head of editorial of my personal favorite website, Black Ballad. Jandela has written for the Sunday Times Star magazine, Metro Online and Independent Voices, to name a few. She's also a TEDx speaker with an incredibly powerful and moving story. In today's episode, Jandela shares what kept her interest in writing. She breaks down how she made ends meet while trying to have a creative career as a parent and she shares some must-hear advice on work-life balance. Let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? I've changed my mind so many times in terms of what I wanted to be at different points. I think when I was a child the very first thing I wanted to be was an author. Okay. I wanted to break the record for like the youngest person published and it was 13 and I was trying to break that. I didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the first thing that I wanted to be and then from there it was a journalist on TV specifically like a broadcast journalist, a war correspondent. So then I went back into writing after I had my first son. And writing being your first love where did that love come from what was it about reading writing becoming an author what was so enchanting about that for you I think it was definitely reading books and being immersed in these worlds and just wanting to be like I want to do that too I want to create these worlds that other people will read and just be like wow this is great yeah as long as I've known you you have been a writer and as you said it was after the birth of your first son and I Knew you when your son was very, very little, actually. Like, it's insane how long we've actually technically known each other. But with your building of worlds and wanting to become an author, in fact, the first book that I know you to have written was about motherhood. So it wasn't like fiction. Was there like a plan in your mind that it's going to be fiction, nonfiction? Because you wrote 
a non-fiction book, no? For the first book. Yeah. So the first book was a self-published book for a project that I was doing when I was still trying to be a photographer. And it was all about motherhood, specifically young motherhood. So women who had children at ages that society deems young. That book was just compiling their portraits and their stories. And yeah, I think I've just always been attracted to books as a form. So that's why I did it. But there was no plan. Everything's kind of just like, as and when opportunities arose, I just took it. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously you had your first son and you're trying to do writing, photography, and it's like a mix of things. How are you juggling those kind of creative pursuits, putting money in the bank, being a mum, childcare? Like, how is all of that working in your world with your first son? Um, (laughs) So in the beginning, I packed in the freelance photographer career because it just wasn't compatible. So Mm. that's what I mean by I went back to writing because before I was trying to do like the freelance photographer and filmmaker thing. And it just was not gelling. It was just too stressful. And I just thought, let me just stop and kind of take stock of my life and what I want to do. So I just started writing and it was more for just myself, like for my blog. So there was like no pressure. And then from there, I started getting freelance commissions, but it was very slow and very intentionally so because I think I decided very early on the type of parent that I wanted to be is a very present parent. So I didn't want to have to worry too much about childcare. I didn't want to have to worry too much about trying to fit things together. So in the beginning, yeah, I was just doing bits here and there. When it came to childcare, if I needed it, I would ask family mainly but I wasn't doing anything that was so busy that childcare was really an issue a lot of like my son used to come with me everywhere (laughs) it was often like if I need to be somewhere can babies come if not I'm probably not going to be there um and that was just my approach to to motherhood and like work and stuff um yeah, I was just really intentional about choosing that way of doing things. And then money-wise, like, I'll be honest, I wasn't earning a lot of money. So I was very much reliant on tax credits at the time. I was very much reliant on mixing my earned income with state benefits. And I kind of saw that as my entitlement, as you know, I'm going to raise this kid. And if this is what's on offer for me, I'm going to take it. And I didn't feel a way about that. The way that I know some of my friends can feel quite conscious about being on benefits or taking state support in that way I was like listen bankers get whatever they get from the state they get a tax cut they exploit loopholes I'm allowed to take my little 50 pound a week or whatever please Mm. (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) so that was literally how I went about things I just tried not to put too much pressure I was still very much trying to work out what I wanted from life as well because I think motherhood is such a massive shift and sometimes there can be a pressure to you know get back to it you know snap back get back on the grind get back on the career ladder and I was like I don't even know what I want anymore so let me just feel my way through and do things at my own pace that was very much my approach in the beginning thank you for sharing that actually because I know that you didn't want to use the word shame but I do think for some people it is like a shame because it's so vilified to take from the state because they want to discourage you from taking what you're technically entitled to and have been paying into Mm -hmm. so especially if you've you've worked ever in your life you are contributing to national insurance in the event that you cannot work for whatever reason you can't work or you can't provide for yourself in that moment that that's it's there to fall back on but I think 
yeah, it's important. Even me, I was like, oh, I don't know. After uni, I was like, I don't have any money. Like, how do I, how do people live? And it was through the benefit system. It's like, I just didn't understand how I was meant to just carry on. So I, I think, thank you for being open and honest about that because one, surprisingly, no, no one really talks about it. They might take it, but they don't really disclose or share. There was something you said about not knowing what you wanted that really hit me. And I'm wondering if that not knowing, whether you were questioning that before the baby or whilst pregnant and then when he arrived, did that become into sharper focus? Just wanting to figure out a little bit, like just going through the motions of trying to figure out like, what do I want? What gives me purpose? What do I enjoy? Did pregnancy instigate that or was it kind of happening before? I think pregnancy definitely instigated that. But that whole period of my life was really turbulent anyway because the father of my child literally went to prison six weeks before the baby was born so So I think part of it was becoming a mom part of it was just living in this chaotic world and almost having a chance to start again in a way but I think the thing that really happened with motherhood was that it pulled back all the pretension so I think for a long time of my life I was very much focused on being a success and being a career and proving myself and all that kind of stuff. And then you have a child. And I did actually have postnatal depression as well, which I realised later after the fact. But it really just gave me an opportunity to relook at what my priorities were. Combined with the depression, combined with all of this upheaval, it was also like, there's this child. What matters in life? What matters to me? So I definitely think pregnancy well more childbirth and perhaps the aftermath and like dealing with postnatal depression really kind of like triggered those thought patterns and just made me think am I going to be miserable by trying to hold to the same ideas that I had before that I thought is the only way of living or am I going to allow myself the grace to start again and revisit all of that yeah I definitely went through that that moment or that period of shifting focus suddenly Mm. (laughs) I'm like does this matter? <laughs> I was just doing all sorts, literally throwing shit out the walls and seeing what stuck. Like, because I had the <laughs> privilege and the time and yeah. the luxury to do that. And then I was like, yeah, no, there's like a person here. And actually, my time is valuable because I have to choose her or work. And that work needs to feel meaningful, plentiful, and purposeful. And so, like, actually, my whole way of thinking has shifted in a way that I completely did not expect. So I can totally relate to that and empathise with that. And even just the feeling of depression, for sure. But yeah, I think that questioning, I think it must be quite disorientating. And then you're having to then confront being mum. And then you're also having to confront what am I? Who am I in this world? Like, what is my contribution? Not only to this tiny human, but also like for yourself, that kind of bigger, what do I do for me and who mm-hmm. I am? You mentioned you had to kind of reevaluate what being successful was what was the idea of success that you had at the time do you remember and what is it now years later before I go into that I I just want to say that I think that period of like just trying everything is actually a great thing Mm -hmm. and while you do have the freedom and the lack of responsibility I think yeah definitely try everything throw everything at the wall because one of the things I always say is that having tried everything that I ever thought I wanted to do when it came to the period of shifting 
I didn't have any what ifs. I was like, well, I've tried that and I didn't really like that. And I did that and it was firm, but not really for me. Do you get what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was a bit easier to be like, okay, this is what I'm settled on. So I definitely think that that's worth doing for anyone who has the freedom and the privilege to do that. Because obviously not everyone does. But in terms of success, what success meant to me before was I think a lot of outside validation. So whether that was by having enough money to get a house and Mm -hmm. to look like, oh yeah, I've got everything together. Or whether that was having the outside validation of awards or kind of just recognition within industries and opportunities that are given to me by other people. That was very much how I saw success and it just hinged on how I was perceived on the outside and how people valued my gifts or my talents or my contributions from the outside and now I think it's more about contentment and it's about feeling that what I'm contributing to the world myself I can see as valuable and worthy I'm spending my time in a way that's productive that's affirming to myself and is also contributing to other people's lives And I'm also able to spend as much time with my family as I want. And success is having a certain level of freedom around creating a lifestyle that feels like it nourishes me. And I can still do all the things that I want to do while covering the things that I have to do, like paying bills and all that boring stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it also changes in a sense where different seasons, my goals are different. So I just finished the first draft of my second novel, my second fiction book. Yes, well done. Thank you. And that was the aim for a while, like just making sure that I can get that done. And I've done that. And now my goal is resting a bit more, (laughs) finding hobbies again. Because this whole idea of work-life balance, I think it's a fallacy. Like there's no such thing as perfect balance but what I try to look at in life is like seasons so okay this season I have to work really hard at this one thing and I can rest in this way and the next season I have to work really hard at this and I'm gonna get my rest in this way so that's how I view success how am I contributing to the world feeling nourished and affirmed but also looking after myself as well because burnout is real and it's not fun yeah no I feel that and I love that (laughs) it it definitely does shift towards rest as you get older and you kind of realize like this this hustle (laughs) this is a con (laughs) I do not feel fulfilled by constantly working or hustling and actually rest is necessary it's needed it's not a gift it's not a luxury (laughs) like it's actually just a standard requirement rest is not a reward you give yourself exactly it's like a necessity like water Yes. Thank you for sharing that because I think sometimes it takes a while to acknowledge that within ourselves that actually the material, even when you get it, it's not as, it just doesn't feel the same. (laughs) Like it doesn't always live up to the expectations that you think it's going to have. And it doesn't always feel as good as you think it's going to feel because actually some of that stuff is like on a spiritual level, you just need slightly more simpler things. And I think that's what you're implying. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I would love to delve into some of your writing, like your novel writing specifically. So you've written Hope and Glory. And you've just finished your draft of your second novel. Amazing. Why Hope and Glory, first of all? Like, why was that the story that you wanted to tell? Why that story? Why was it the story in your mind, in your heart? Like, where did it all come from? And why did it need to be the first one? Yeah, I think I started writing and I was very much in the place where Glory is at the start of the book, where she's questioning everything, not really knowing what she's doing with her life, that period that we term like a quarter life crisis Mm -hmm. that was very much where I was so I wanted to write this story about like a young British Nigerian woman who doesn't really know what she's doing with life and herself and then her world built around that and I wanted to tell a story that was really relatable primarily to black women in the UK but that would also tell the story of our families and our communities and in doing so potentially connect with other immigrant communities or other people from working class backgrounds who know what it means to have complicated family dynamics Mm -hmm. and family secrets and different relationships with your siblings and your parents and all that kind of thing. I just wanted to tell a family drama that felt real to life and felt very British in a very black immigrant way. So it was an opportunity for me to, I guess, test my fiction writing skills because, as I said, I tried to write a book when I was younger and I was trying to beat the world record and I failed and I kind of, like, packed it all in then at the very (laughs) premature age of, like, 10 or whatever. So I think Hope and Glory was a chance for me to tell a story that was relatable, that was real, while not being based on any one person's life, it was real, and just flex my fiction writing skills a little bit. And it was fun to write. It really was. What were the challenges in writing it? Because it was your first foray into fiction. What were the pitfalls? What were the difficulties that you experienced in the process? Yeah, I think it was just believing that I could do it. Because your first draft of anything is absolute trash. Like, even if you're writing an 800-word article, the first draft is going to be absolute trash. So it was getting through that first draft and feeling like, oh, this is absolutely terrible. This is the worst idea in life. (laughs) And then you edit it and you're like, oh, okay, this is all right. I can see potential. And then you go back over it again and you're like, what the hell am I doing? This is crazy. This is terrible. And it was like going through those ups and downs of, yeah, I'm great at this. And then like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Yeah, this is great. Oh my gosh, this is the worst idea ever. So that was the challenge, just kind of like staying the course when Mm. it felt like every word that I wrote was just nonsense I want to get into like the technical aspect of doing your first draft because that's really hard like for some people they can at least maybe push through to do that what is the reviewing of the second draft like how do you do that because how do you Mm. resist the urge to just be like just delete just you've got to get a whole page has got to go hundreds of words hours have got to go like how like how is that how does that process work 
It is hard. I think you just have to remember what your initial vision was. And like, can I see parts of this vision here? And can I see how it will get better? And I think having worked as an editor for a while helped as well. Mm -hmm. Because I get all sorts of drafts across my quote-unquote desk. When you're not so emotionally invested in it and you can look at it with a more critical eye, you can see, okay... Like, I can see how this can work. We just need to shift this and shift that. So I think it was taking that eye to my own work and being like, okay, this isn't as bad. We just need to work on this and work on that. And then I did have my agent as well reading versions, and which really helped. And even now I say to her, I can't believe you let me continue writing after that first draft. It must have been absolutely terrible. She was like, no, it wasn't actually that bad. (laughs) So I think definitely having supportive people around who know what they're doing and can see your vision as well really helped. But I think you just have to give grace to yourself and just realise that this is not going to be perfect because it's the first draft. Like that's Mm -hmm. the whole point of a first draft. One quote that has really helped me, it's been attributed to so many different people. I don't even know who said it at this point. But it's like the real writing is in the rewriting. Mm. Like that first draft, I call it brain farts. It's just a series of (laughs) getting everything out of your head onto paper. And then the real writing happens when you look over it and you start rewriting and editing and polishing it into something that's more cohesive and presentable. And yeah, that's what I just tried to remember, that this is brain farts that are going to get moulded into something better. That is actually very helpful. How were you writing alongside two little boys? (laughs) How were you finding the time? Like, were you doing it in pockets of the day, waiting until they were at like nursery, school? Like, what? how how do you do it so first of all i'm not that person who writes every day okay like i know some people say you have to write every day no it doesn't happen for me because some days i'm just tired some days i've been arguing with small people for five hours and i'm like (laughs) right now my brain just needs to chill it doesn't need to do anything else so i was trying to like find pockets of time or just find say for example days when i knew for example that They'd be with grandma. So I'd like, okay, today I have to do something because I've got this time. I just have to get some words down. But then mm. a lot of my writing happened on my phone as well. Commute in between moments. And I think that really helped just having something nearby that I could literally just type thoughts or ideas or a scene without that pressure of, oh my gosh, I'm writing a novel. It was like, no, I'm just writing little scraps into a notebook. And then eventually mm-hmm. I can take that and paste and make it into actually something that looks like a proper draft. So I was just trying to snatch time. There were periods when CBBS was just on loop <laughs> and I was just there typing away. There was times when my laptop was open on the table and I'd be doing something with my kids and then something will come to mind. I would literally go and quickly write a couple sentences there was no real rhyme or reason beyond can I just get a little bit done today no yeah. is my brain turned out no okay today's not the day that's fine we'll go again tomorrow I kind of respect that I think actually having spoken to a few authors I think there are some that will just be like this is my job and they're like desk at nine and they're like cracking on getting their tea having their breakfast rituals and then there are just like everyone else <laughs> Who, much like you, they're like, inspiration comes when it comes, the writing comes when it comes, and I'm just, like, capturing these moments. And, yeah, I think I I respect it because sometimes that's just how it has to get done. And now you've you've got a book out. I see you you were doing bits in Peckham. 
Um, I love to see it. I saw my studio in the background. I do want to just ask a little bit about the process of promoting and sharing the book with the world and actually what's that been like for you? Once it's now out there, it's published, it's got a cover, it's got art, it's in shops, people can see it, read it, touch it, hold it, interpret it however they want. Like, how has that process of it being out in the world been for you, but also having to kind of share it and promote it? What's that brought up in you and how's that been feeling? It's tiring, I will say that. I was not prepared for how emotionally draining it can be to promote something that you've spent so long working on and you've like invested yourself creatively in. But that's not to say that it's not been enjoyable. It has been. It's been great to connect with people over this world that I essentially made up. Like I hallucinated, made up, wrote down and now it's like we're having conversations about it. I did a book club earlier this week and it was just a room full of people really debating the intricacies of characters and <laughs> motivation. And I was just sitting there like, this is absolutely amazing. The outdoors people were like, oh, you know, sorry, we're talking so much. I was like, no, like this, I just want to sit and listen to you guys like dissect characters and kind of your own interpretation. There was even a point where they were debating whether people even liked the main character. And I was like wow, I've created someone who has people that emotionally engaged that these two people are arguing over whether the character was right when she did that or not. Ah, oh, it was amazing. And I think that I love, I love that aspect of it. I love connecting with readers because that's why I wanted to write because mm-hmm. I was reading books and I was getting so fired up and passionate about it as a child that it's like, I want to inspire this in other people. So that's been great fun. But it is tiring, you know, doing um, events especially. So I've done a few festivals up and down the country, which has been great to visit places that I've never been before. And my book has opened the world to me in that way. There is a lot of ego Mm -hmm. that I've had to fight with (laughs) with myself just in terms of... I want to be the best. I want, I still want to be validated and recognised yeah. for what I do. But then you do have to start thinking, okay, but whose validation are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Because if, for example, your book's a bestseller and you have all these literary people raving about it, but the people who you wrote the book for are like, nah, sis, like, it. you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do our world justice. Is that success or is success maybe being a bit more low key when it comes to sales figures and that literary world reception? But having black women be genuinely excited about your book and Mm. wanting to just come and talk to you about these characters all day. And I've decided that that is the success that I need because that is the success that I had in mind when I started and everything else. It's a bit of ego. And it's a bit of that need for outside validation, which I really just need to continue to deal with for my own sake. I think to some extent, I've never heard anyone say it entirely goes away. It's probably like sits in that weird aspirational space. But yeah, yeah, you have to have a healthy amount of desire for it, but also know when when it's useful to seek out those kind of big almost like the kind of white gaze version because this is England but yes we need to know when when it's helpful and when it can like propel you forward and when it's kind of actually quite destructive and doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve your audience and I think it sounds like you found that balance of like okay it would be nice to have some of this (laughs) but does it matter like will this person saying this about my book actually mean it's going to sell to my people because sometimes it doesn't all right final question 
what is the best advice you've ever received and what is the worst advice you've ever received? I think the best advice that I've ever received, I guess work-related, this one is, is to always stay a bit ahead in your creative process. Like, never just kind Mm. of, like, rest on your laurels. And that's not for the sake of validation, but just in a sense of keeping, pushing yourself forward. And also the best advice, actually, is to, like, not read reviews of your work. (laughs) Like, I mean, good reviews definitely help, but they're not always necessarily the most helpful when you want to keep pushing forwards, you know, because they can psych you out a little bit because you think, oh, I have to do exactly the same thing as before. So I think not reading reviews and kind of just trying to stay ahead of yourself, always thinking about the new idea, even if you're not working on it, just think about it, formulate things, just that you're always ready to go creatively when it's time to go. Obviously, we don't want to overwork ourselves. And I think the worst advice, this is a bit more personal, but I think it's applicable to everything, is to, I guess, keep calm and carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Um, that's the worst advice? Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah, the worst advice. The worst (laughs) advice. And I say that because I think... For me, that translated as like not vocalising how I was feeling about certain things, just trying to keep everything together, be the strong black woman, always prove that you're capable. And I think that's not been helpful for me because I think I already have too much about perfection, too much Mm -hmm. about trying to maintain control. And sometimes it is about opening up to people and letting people in and being like, you know, this is really hard. I'm really struggling here. I need help. Or do you have advice? And I'm trying to be more forthcoming in my life as a whole, whether that's personal or work related, Mm -hmm. because I think I can be quite closed off. So being told to keep calm and carry on. Mm. Obviously, there was a part of me that was like, well, yeah, that's that's exactly what I do anyway. But I'm realising as I'm getting older that, no, I need to ask for help. I need to be vulnerable. I need to take a chance to rest when... I need to rest. It's not just always about forging ahead no matter what. Like sometimes stop, take stock, reevaluate, ask for help, cry if you need to cry. Like that's completely all right. I love that. It feels very personal to you as well, which is great because I think sometimes I ask this question to everyone and you can get some really like good general advice, but actually keep calm and carry on probably does work for some people. <laughs> But not for you. And I think actually kind of when you said it, I was like, what? What do you mean? That's like great advice. <laughs> it's like on slogans and like cups and stuff. But actually <laughs> when you, as you broke it down, I was like, actually, I can see how when you put it in the perspective of actually it means I close off and it means I don't ask for help when I need it. I can see how that actually is a very toxic piece of advice. And actually for certain personality types, it's just not the way forward because you just end up burning yourself out by pushing through when you really should be like, rest, stop. There's too much resistance and I need assistance. So yeah, thank you so much, Jandela. Ah, it was so nice catching up with Jandela and hearing how she's settled into a career that she finds fulfilling and aligned with her goals and purpose. Do go and get a copy of her debut fiction novel, Hope and Glory, and follow her at Jandela on Twitter or Instagram. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this half an hour has made you think, reflect and contemplate what your next step should be. I'd like to encourage you to think about one person who would really benefit from the messages we've shared today. And I'd love for you to share this episode with them right 
now. If you'd like to keep up with the latest episode releases, do follow Wannabe on your favourite podcast player and follow us on Instagram at contentisqueenhq. Until next time, bye. This is a Content is Queen production. Hosted and produced by me, Imriel Morgan. Editing and sound design by Joseph Perry. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.